I took the Kelly Slater posters off my wall like three years ago, dude. You haven't, so that's where we're at. <laughs> well, that means that means you sold low, and that is never a good look, my friend. I folded. I should have left them up. Welcome to The Drop on the Stab Podcast feed. My name is Danny Johnson, and this week on the show, we've got Mike and Stace back to wrap up the pipe event and then preview the sunset event, which is about to start any moment. But before we do that, let's catch up on this week in surfing with Stab's editor, big dick power surfer, Mr. Brendan Buckley. Very good. The sun, the sun looks beautiful coming sideways through the window. Yeah, we face east and it just blasts you for a few hours in the morning. It's great. That's great. I'm going to get tan. I'm actually going to keep my Hawaii tan, I think. On one side of your face at least, yeah. That's all you need. And you just face everybody sideways. You approach them like that and it's you look like a normal person. It's like a truckie's arm, but on your face. Yeah. I mean, why not? We already, as surfers, we're used to just fucked up tans with the, the wetsuits and the hood tan is the worst. It's referred to as the toilet bowl tan because you just get the kind of circle, the kind of oval <laughs> in your face. <laughs> Surfing is now a permanent Olympic sport and as the winter games are on right now in China what an honor I mean we could we're permanent we could just they're with us until we become all washed up and archaic like some of the weird fucking ice skating ones they do now so we're locked <laughs> in I guess well I mean permanent until the world blows up as well there's there's got to be I mean how loosely are we going to throw that permanent word around yeah, with the volcanoes and everything. Exactly. What's um, your What's your stance here, Danny? Are you Are you happy that our beloved pastime is a permanent Olympic sport? They say. Well, when the Olympics was first announced and, and surfing was accepted, I was I was a real skeptic, I, as I am with any sport that's got legitimate world tours. I was not into the idea of having this extra event at the Olympics that would somehow decide a gold medal that seems important but wouldn't be. But then when the events started, I got sucked in like a lot of people did and really enjoyed it just because of how much the surfers cared. But now that's faded away. I'm back to being a full-time skeptic and I it doesn't impress me much. Buck, how do you feel about it? Well, I think it's funny. I mean, I don't know. I doubt the timing is coincidental, but the fact that the Winter Olympics are on right now it kind of, I guess, leading into surfing's first Olympics, like we did a bunch of stories on it. And we there was kind of hype around it, I guess, and it was a lot of it operated under this assumption that it meant something to the rest of the world, and it's become so apparent to me in the past however many days since the Winter Olympics started that like, if you don't care about that sport, you don't give a fuck. I have not watched a minute of the Winter Olympics. I don't think I will. I don't know what I'd watch. I mean, I guess if if I went out to like a bars and there's like something, a game on that looked close and exciting, I'd like look at the screen for a little bit. But like, it just made me realize how much, unless you care about the sport, how much the Olympics you just don't even care about. It's funny you say that because this Winter Olympics is the lowest rated Winter Olympics of all time. And then wow. Tokyo. Is it my fault? <laughs> but then as, stepping back to Tokyo, that was the lowest rating 
Olympics of all time, including winter or summer Olympics. The drop in audiences has been catastrophic. Globally, it ranges from between 25 and 30%. I think the theory might be introducing sports like surfing and skating is, is that they need to try and win over the youth market. But is that how you win over the youth? I, I feel like they, they need to get the broadcast team to put their hats on backwards and smoke vapes or something to, to win over the youth. I don't know if they care about surfing and skating. It really is the only way. Get the vapes out, flip the hats, you know, do some youth stuff, you know. Basically, the, the Olympics is in a free fall. They're struggling to, to remain relevant and I guess it's up to surfing to save them. It's up to surfing to save them. And what I think is really interesting is that the question of would you rather win a world title or an Olympic gold, I think was a little bit harder when in the old CT format because that format was like undeniably the best surfer in the world. Whereas like if somebody won an Olympic gold, they kind of would might feel like, oh, I just got hot for that week or that day or whatever it was. Whereas the new CT format with the final is exactly that. You know, it no longer has that like tried and trusted uh, all over the world. Go on, go. Well, I think you're right in, in saying that, that the new WSL format is theoretically uh, not this proven formula to get the best surfer in the world. But when you break it down and having watched it for the first time last year, I don't think we're ever going to see anyone come from fifth place, surf all those heats and win a world title. So fifth's out. I highly doubt we're ever going to see fourth and I'd be really surprised if we ever saw third come back and win it against someone with, with fresh legs coming into it. So I think it's almost just down to first and second on that last day. I mean, I know Tatiana almost like – She was one turn away, yeah. She almost she, she almost took down Carissa or she at least showed us that it's possible but there's, there's definitely no one coming from fifth place, is there? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, I think what's going to make it controversial is if it was like this past year where there's a big gap between first and second and second mm. was, I think that's what would get the people all revved up. Uh, the people are going to get revved up regardless. Just, I'm revved up. I hate the system. And I think everyone decided that it was a success because they enjoyed watching it that day. But I still think it totally, it, it, it delegitimizes the world champ or has the potential to. It didn't this year because the rightful winners won. But if you surf a whole year against – I know this is an old conversation at this point. Just let me dust the cobwebs off it for a second. But if dust you surf a whole year and you prove yourself in different conditions and you're leading the tour rankings, then I think it's complete nonsense that you don't have a world title. Like I think we've we've gone so hard – the WSL has gone so hard in in trying to appeal to an audience that was – I mean, at least the core was really happy with that system. I didn't care if John John won while he was standing in his backyard and we couldn't even see him because it felt way more legitimate that if he came second all year and then just won an extra heat to somehow win a world title. Well, it seems like they're keeping it around. And now, like I said, I think it's just, I think it, it makes it, it's so much closer to the Olympics now. Like it was, the old format was so much different and like you said, so much more agreeable for people who really care about surfing whereas this is well it's really not that far off from the olympics i guess the olympics just take a few days instead of one i'm just happy that this one is in china um china is a huge partner of ours at the show 
Um, we send them all your data. <laughs> so make sure to tune in because it's a great event they're running over there. Microdose with Parker Coffin and Ian Crane. The electric acid surfboard test is a double-blind experiment aimed at the exploration of alternative surfboard design. Each year, our mystery surfers take a hero's journey down the experimental design rabbit hole. The acid test microdose, on the other hand, is just that, a quick alternative hit, a handful of experimental boards, and a few days to film on them. This is the electric acid microdose, starring Ian Crane, Parker Coffin, and a few board models that you might recognize from the Ho family acid test. So I'm going to claim that I was almost there for this. How so? Well, this was right after Stab High Central America, and the boards were on site there. What's interesting is because both these guys were finalists in Stab High. They both made the final day. And I think we talked about it when it was on, but like the vibe there is kind of interesting. Like it, at, there was times when it didn't really feel like a competition at all. You know, it was just like a, a week long, 10 day, whatever it was, surf trip. And then I think as like, as it went on, you really got to see how serious people were taking it. And by the final day, it was just like so clear that everybody was really fucking there to win and no more jokes. Like the final day was proper heat mode for everybody. Um, and one interesting thing I saw was on the Pukas board, which like I said, like these boards were around, everybody was trying them the whole stab high anyway. Parker really was loving that thing. And I think the first few waves he caught on the final day were on that board. He just had this theory about going out and not being selective with waves, like literally just trying to get whatever he could stand up on and not even really trying to do anything, just like surf the wave until the wall kind of fades out. And so he had some weird little juju going that thing for a while. So he paddled out, what you're telling me now is he paddled out in an aerial contest and just did a few fat backs and surfed them all the way to the beach and didn't do any airs? Is that, is that it was his strategy? Yeah. I guess it was like, because I know he used to work with Gurr, Brad Gerlach, and I think it was some weird like kind of Gurr technique maybe. That was my suspicion at least. But it was interesting. And so he, he clearly had a thing going on the board and then he stole it took it to a fun little wedge and grabbed two more, made this thing with Crane. Yeah, those boards, I mean, sorry, those waves look so fun. They're, they're pretty much, in terms of putting a surf clip together, they're probably the funnest waves you can compile in and edit if you want to try and make people get excited to go surf. But another thing that got me excited to surf, as it probably did you, is this is the first stab surfboard related, whether it's stab in the dark or electric acid surfboard test or any of the micro doses that's featured a goofy footer and it featured not one, Ooh. but two. Did you notice that? I didn't realize, I knew that that was a stat, but I didn't put that together yet. That is, I have some weird thoughts on that. I have some, <laughs> what are they? this is, I actually, just last night, I, we talked about John John, how he just put like five clips or seven clips, whatever it was on YouTube in one day. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize they were all like, a minute long and so I did do a little lap through there last night and then I ended up coming up on the clip he posted where it's all just flipped it's him surfing as a goofy foot oh yeah and look I'm goofy I'm proud 
it's subjectively worse. It's not even close. He's surfing worse as a goofy foot. I don't know what it is, but I watched it and I was like, that's not John John. That's, that's disgusting. And so I don't know, maybe I'm dealing with some shame as a goof that I need to work through. I don't know what it is, but it freaked me out actually how much I didn't really care for his surfing as a goofy foot. Yeah, I had the same um, experience. I thought it was going to be magical and, and transformative and a whole bunch of other vague words that don't really mean anything. And it wasn't. It was, it was disappointing. And I've actually done that before. I remember Sean Cansdell, when he was growing up, he would set up a mirror and watch Kelly's surf vids in the mirror because Sean's goofy footed and he, he, he thought it would help him get, get psyched or, or imitate Slater in the way he wanted to. And, and so I remember like, oh, that's a great idea. And I, I flipped a few Kelly videos to Goofy and it looked, it looked great. But the John one was, was weird. He's not meant to be goofy footed. Not at all. Not at all. But I think Parker and Ian are. I, I wonder if we flip this, how they'd look if it just looked like any other stat project because they'd be regular foots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing that's funny there, though, is like like I said about that Pukas that he was riding, in the final of the air comp, he was just trying to cruise on that thing the first few waves, right? Mm-hmm. I think one thing I love about this microdose is that those guys, like I feel like a lot of the the alternative board kind of stuff, people tend to like slow down or just draw a little bit different lines, whatever it is. Kind of like the what you just said about magical and transformative. That's what I feel like words like draw different lines and all that shit means. It's just nothing. It just means you're surfing worse. Yeah. Um, they did not do that at all. Like they did not bend their approaches at all. They were just pushing those things as hard as they could, just like they were any other performance shortboard which i thought was cool i've never seen somebody really challenge the boards like that before what is this thing like a four eight funky little boogie board tail nice hard edge this thing feels fucking trippy yeah they were both pushing it weren't they and they and i love seeing crazy talented surfers at the at the pointy end of progression that they are just fuck up and miss time leaps or bog little little moments here and there and and oh, get yeah. frustrated and that film has those moments and has them mm. figuring a board out and, and when you're pushing a board that hard you're naturally going to find those glitches or or not quite work out how to make them work yet it's just good to see surfers of that caliber fuck up it really is i mean i guess i said it was the first i don't know if i said the first but basically dane did the same thing right he he was pushing the boards in his east and then his fried thing as hard as they would go. Like he wasn't, it didn't seem like he was trying to like draw the different line Ponzi scheme thing that people do. No way. Um, he was pushing those things and a lot of times they were not <laughs> agreeing with him, which made it a pleasure to watch. It was, that was why it was so fun, especially when they would occasionally agree with him. But yeah, Ian, Ian and Parker are kind of the same thing where they're just, they're trying to make the boards serve to their will and no cool lines. <laughs> the $495 North Shore Quiver. This is a piece that will be live on Stab Premium by the time that this podcast is out. And it was written by me and it was an accident. Um, I went to Hawaii and I didn't bring a board bag. 
my friend was nice enough to lend me a few boards right when I got there. Had me covered, honestly. Anything from a 5.7 to a 9.8. Like I was, I didn't need boards. So what, you planned this trip and just planned, I don't need surfboards. It's Hawaii. You know you can find boards there. I just, I figured I'd, I knew I'd figure it out. I had enough to make it work. And then I saw a 6.6 Bushman on Facebook Marketplace for a hundred bucks. It looks like, looked like it was in new shape. And so I just randomly spur of the moment bought that one day. I don't really know why I didn't really need it. I already had a six, four. And then that like kind of opened up the floodgates for me to start looking at boards. And I eventually got this idea like, okay, if I limit myself to $500, how many boards can I get slash can I build like a pretty complete quiver for the North shore? Uh, the answer is absolutely yes, you can. And so I wrote about that and I hope it serves kind of as like a guide to navigating secondhand sites to get boards. And it was really fun and I love the boards. Oh, you kept all the boards? So the Bushman that I talked about, that broke first session. (laughs) (laughs) Third wave. (laughs) The other three boards I brought back. Yeah. It could be the new way to travel. Just show up, hit Craigslist and, and never own a, even own a board bag. We did a series over here called SURF where we got surfers to gave them 100 bucks and a case of beer to try and uh, – the, the challenge was they had to find a board and then have a surf contest on it. And everyone found pretty good boards and, and surfed incredible on them. Aussie bought two. Aussie Wright bought two and still had – like I think 60 bucks left over. So it's, it seems silly to go and order new boards. And plus there's, I read a stat that there's 400,000 surfboards being made each year. So that's globally, but most of those probably don't start a snap. So that's each year, just another 400,000 boards landing on the surfboard market. So if you apply the basic principles of supply and demand, then given that influx of boards, they're, they're going to be even cheaper every single year. So soon you won't even need 500 bucks. You can just show up to Hawaii with a hundred bucks and fly home with a quiver. Well, the fucked up thing is it cost me 270 just to bring them back on the plane. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You should have sold them, put them back up on um, Craigslist. Is that the thing everyone uses in the state still Craigslist? No, Craigslist is dead. It's, it's dead. If somebody tries to sell you something on Craigslist, don't meet up with them. Um, they're going to stab you and try to try to have sex with your body parts. Um, it's all Facebook Marketplace. So what's your biggest takeaway from, from this surfboard story? I think the biggest takeaway is that there are still so many, I didn't know that 400,000 board stat uh, because I still have time before I publish it and probably steal that from you and put it into the piece. Uh, the biggest takeaway is just how much, how many good boards are out there for so cheap, especially because Surfboard prices, you know, it's easy to drop a grand on a brand new board these days. Yeah. I got four for four ninety five. I actually, I was going to, because the last board, the hardest board to get was a short board. Short boards, I don't know, I guess maybe they're the most common thing. So it's a little bit harder to get like a decent looking one. And so I really lowballed this one guy. And then I realized after that, because I was just trying to lowball it to fit that. It was the last board fitting that 500 thing. I said, look, man, that's all I have to pay. Will you take it or leave it? And he took it. But on the day of the exchange, I fucked up and 
there was like a weird change thing where I realized as I was driving back that I, you know, mangled the math on the spot. And so I accidentally, I, I'm, the guy probably thinks I'm a scumbag because I basically stole $5 from him in the change thing. I was like, oh, well, I gave you this, so you got to give me the 10 back or whatever it was. And so I realized that that actually put it to four ninety five. my stupid mathematical error on the spot. And so sorry to that guy. But then again, he did tell me that he had the shop employee put the traction pad on the board for him, which explained why he was selling a DHD that was pretty much brand new for $200. <laughs> no way. Well, I mean, that's a little tax on him, a little fine. Yeah, yeah. Just collecting taxes all. It was sort of like a, a minor penance he paid there. It was. Are you getting in the mood for a penance, are you? All right, Danny. It's a very special time of the week. It is surfing time. Yep. And we've got a bizarre surf scene, the first of its kind at least, from Nicholas Vandenberg. 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 What's up, Danny? What's up, Buck? My name is Nick. I'm 24 years old and coming to you from the south shore of Oahu. Now, you might actually consider me a bit of a surf Satanist for my surf sin because I spend quite a lot of my time preaching it to other surfers out there. You see, I'm the founder of a company called Soundswell, and we just launched our wearable waterproof earbuds that accessorize with an Apple Watch, so you can listen to Spotify, Apple Music, or Pandora while practicing ocean and water sports since you don't really have your phone on you. Now, I'm not naive to the fact that the surf Puritans out there in the world might regard listening to music in the lineup as sinful, but to me, coming from a skate and snowboard background before I started surfing, I find hitting the lip to some psych rock or even some house music to just take riding waves to the next level. So for the sake of my livelihood, I hope that like premarital sex or swearing, this surf sin will become a little more accepted in our community. Yeah, so let me know what my penance is and be sure to include punishment for this shameless plug. If any of you listeners out there want to take your music or even the next episode of this podcast, Into the Water, you can head to soundswell.com and use discount code THEDROP for 20% off your order. All right, boys. Thank you. Cheers. All right, Buck. That, like I said, it's a, it's a new type of surf scene. The, the surf scene essentially is being commodified here. Yeah. Yeah, it really is, which is interesting. I have, a, I have quite a few thoughts on this. this is, it's a complex one. I think one of the most just violent things that our species is capable of is forcing music upon other people. Like, I just fucking hate when somebody, it's funny you're at a party and everything, there's a little vibe going, but like when you're not in that situation, somebody just wants to play music real loud in the vicinity of other people that aren't on the same wavelength. Oh man, and the people that do that always have the worst taste in music. It's always the worst. It's fucking violent. I hate that. Um, and so anything headphone related, I guess if I'm so against that, I have to be kind of in support of it. Cause I do think they had like a speaker that was supposed to attach to your surfboard or something for a bit, which that would have been a fucking nightmare. Um, <laughs> but 
this thing, I'm like, okay, yeah, if you're t- keeping the music to yourself, like I'm, I, I can kind of get that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I listen to podcasts constantly. I don't, um, my own thoughts are boring. So I don't really do any activities without listening to podcasts except surf. So I don't know why that, I wouldn't adopt it in the water. It could be much nicer paddling out at a long point break, having some, um, having some facts thrown at me. Would you go podcast in the water? Yeah, I mean, like he says, like, oh, you're listening to house house music and, and you smack the lip to the drum beat. Like, you don't know that's how it's going to line up. You might, it might fuck your whole rhythm up. Not everyone understands house music. It's a spiritual thing. Oh, man, that, I do not understand that. I get music. I'd actually want to try the music, but podcasts in the water, I know. But there's definitely a sin here. The spiritual opportunism to come into our sacred place where we heal people mm. and then just turn this into a marketplace. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we let it happen, but what do you think, Buck? Mm. What, did you have a penance in mind for this corruption of the surf sin segment with commerce? I kind of built my penance around the shame he seems to be feeling, experiencing around this business and maybe even around entering our sacred space with this, you know, trying to get some sales. And so I focus on the shame. And what I think he needs to do is he needs to start another company. And it needs to be sunglasses that you wear in the water. (laughs) And that way he'll feel way less shame about this one, about Soundswell. If he starts the aquatic sunglass company sounds well will feel much better it's like you know if something hurts a little bit you go and you hit something a lot harder and then you don't you forget about your arm that was hurt and whatever it was is that what you do i would never do that but i understand the logic here yeah and so i think it's like that i think it's like that and i mean as somebody that's never started a company or had a child um i can tell you confidently that once you've had one uh, you might as well have eight (laughs) and so just start another We'll do aquatic sunglasses and um, it'll make you feel better about Soundswell. I like the idea of wearing headphones in the surf and, and you drop in on people and they're like, hey, and you're like, oh, sorry, man, I, I couldn't hear you. And then, but if you're wearing sunglasses as well at the same time, you're like, oh, I couldn't Ooh. see you. I'm clearly <laughs> blind. I'm like Ray Charles in here, up here, just uh, yeah, fading everyone guilt-free. I like it, Buck. That's fair. I think, I think we need another, I mean, Oakley did some pretty iconic Taj Burrow ads in the early 2000s where he was doing some airs with um, with Oakley's on. I interviewed Taj about it and he said he was such a brat at that point and he was sponsored by Oakley and so, so there, was guy, there was someone from Oakley on the trip and they they were like, hey, man, you've got you to wear these sunglasses while you surf. We need to get the shot and he just kept putting it off and putting it off and he said the boat captain was just looking at these things going, because oh. boating's a very different <laughs> Oh yeah, fashion and and he just couldn't believe it. He was looking at these sunglasses, just going, "These are just a pure genius." He he was so <laughs> he was so godsmacked by these sunglasses that Taj hated. And Taj said that he one day finally decided to do it. He put them on. He went and did an air or whatever and got the shot. And then he just looked at them and just said, "I hate these things." And he just threw them into the into the into the white water just to be washed away never seen again on some indonesian reef and he said wow. he, he said he felt so bad because he was kind of young brat at this point and 
and he just knew how much that boat captain would have loved those sunglasses. So oh, he's, oh, he's, no. He was still pretty haunted haunted by it. Well, this guy needs to start the company and then just send whatever boat that was. We'll track it down Taj. Just get him a pair, finally. Yeah, It's been yeah. a long time coming for this guy. Yeah, that would be, that would be a... A beautiful moment. But my penance buck is, I mean, look, I'm all down for capitalism, but this is, this is a place of worship and spiritual cleansing. I think what would be a fair punishment, a fair penance, is that Nicholas has to surf an entire session in waves above four foot and he's not allowed to duck dive. And I don't know if he's wearing his accessories at this point. <laughs> Or not, maybe it's some extra testing you can do with the how well they attach to the body. But I think paddling headfirst into <laughs> big balls of white water and and never being allowed to sneak underneath them was is a fair penance. So no bailing your board either. Like you have to Oh no. Yeah, no, you can't duck dive. Bailing your board is essentially a, a yeah, a, a form of duck dive. Yeah, yeah. That's a good good point to clarify that, Buck. You must just paddle into the whitewash and, <laughs> and and take them front on. No swimming under. Wow. Okay. I like that. I like that. And so you say one surf. Yeah, I think one surf. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, three waves. That's what it takes to qualify. But he should stay out longer and really think about what he's done. Thanks, Bach, and thanks, Nicholas, for your surfs in. If you have a surf scene, please send those in. Our emails are in the episode description, danny at stabmag.com or buck at stabmag.com. Now, let's hear from Mike and Stace on this week's episode of The Cusp. And welcome back to The Stab Cusp. This is Michael Saramella, joined by my co-host, Stace Galbraith. And we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, Pipeline ended last week, and we got a sunset comp coming up way too fast. So uh, first and foremost, Stace, did you get to catch those two finals days at Pipeline? I did. Uh, And um, as you suggested in your article, I'm very dopamine depleted. So I'm actually pretty stoked to see sunset coming around quickly because I need it, Mikey. I need pro surfing. Oh, it's got us hooked. We're, uh, yeah, we're looking a bit fiendish at the moment. I'm getting a little scratchy in the neck and yeah, <laughs> it's not looking good. And this, this whole new gambling addiction definitely is like, it's like a double up. <laughs> it's, it's a bad combination. You got dragged across the coals, eh? What's going on there? Bit of cancel culture on your betting scene. Oh yeah, the, the people didn't didn't love my betting, but uh, I made like six hundred bucks, so they can suck it. I bet they weren't. I bet they weren't Australians having a whinge. Yeah, it's well, it's super new in America. Like, you know, it's I think it's federally legal, but it has to go state by state. And right now, like, we're I think New York finally just got legalized here to do like mobile betting, and California's still illegal. So that's probably the biggest surf market is like still not even able to do it so i kind of get why there'd be backlash and then of course there's like the other like moral health reasons i guess you could argue as well so i think it'll come around it it is a very complex topic particularly for americans uh i'm not too sure of your um knowledge of the pokerstars.com saga that went down i think maybe 10 15 years ago so i could understand there being some scar tissue there around sports betting particularly on a sport like surfing but just because the rules are, are rules, what if the rules fucking suck, Mikey? Throw down some cash. 
<laughs> yeah, well, that's what we're doing. Um, I went big on Moana and won big in that finals day, and uh, I'm hoping to do the same at sunset. But first things first, let's give a, a round of applause to everybody involved in this past pipeline event. That was just absolutely spectacular viewing. Yeah, uh, it was unbelievable. I, I don't think I've ever wa- uh, rewatched a heat and still felt you know, 10 out of 10, almost like shock or stoke, you know, rewatching a few of those heat analyzers is unbelievable. It was just, it was big pipeline for the men's final day. That was really, really solid. Yeah. So let's, let's break it down. We'll do men first, just since they went first. Obviously the, the quarterfinals, which we discussed, they didn't quite go as we expected. Uh, there was one major upset being John John Florence losing to Seth Moniz. I saw something in that heat that I've, I can't remember ever seeing, which is uh, John Florence going on a really dangerous, really low percentage wave out at Pipeline. And I think that he pretty much had to after what Seth did on that first wave of the heat. Is that what you saw as well? Yeah, but you were kind of framing it up in your article online that it was like this unheard of mistake for John or, or anyone for that matter. And I, I, I have like a lot of reason to think that, that that was fine. Given his talent out there, he's never not in it. And even on that wave, that was one of the best drops we'd seen all event. Um. So yeah, I'm... I just haven't seen him look out of control like that before. Like he looked like he was struggling to maintain control. So you're you're exactly right, and and Billy Kemper's call was spot on. Um, if we're still allowed to talk about sports betting, oh, we are, and we're we're dropping an audio clip right here. One heat that I cannot take my eyes off is John versus Seth. Seth is going to be a massive underdog. But having the amount of knowledge and experience he's put in out at Pipeline and also having a little bit of a more sendy attitude than John has, he's going to be a great pick. He's going to be a major underdog and somebody worth putting money on. (laughs) (laughs) I thought Billy Kemper's call on the Seth John Heat was exactly, you know, he, he he almost called it like a prophet, you know. Seth... Put it this way, Seth and Baron are at a point in their careers where they're, they're heirs to the throne, but they're, they're still a decade away from just paddling out there with their chins up and going any way if they want. So they still have that grommet send mentality. And 10 years ago, that was John John. So make no mistake, John John's bread and butter is swinging on ugly waves that don't look makeable. It's just in the modern era, he is the king. So he, I, I agree with what you're saying. His wave selection out there is impeccable. He rarely takes a drop where he looks like he's out of control. But mark my word, he grew up doing that shit. So I think the DNA is, is strong. Well, that is certainly true. And there's, there's no knock on his ability. But to be fair, John hasn't had a 10 out at the Pipe Masters or the Pipe CT event since 2011. So clearly, like, he's obviously getting really high scores a lot. But because he's not having to push it on those waves that are like the sort of X-factor waves, he's kind of staying in that, you know, high nine range, which makes sense. Um, but anyway, back to him and Seth. They, they had this like kind of looked like a paddle battle for that first wave of the heat. Seth went. It was top three, top five craziest drops at pipe backdoor I've ever seen in my entire life. That wave of uh, Bruce Irons in whatever that old film was back in the day comes to mind. Campaign 2. Yeah, just sideways under the lip, never got 
outside of the lip line was in the barrel the entire drop. It was just fucking ridiculous. And I think after John saw that, he's like, fuck, he can just do that again. So now I have to go in this wave that I don't want to go on. But it's like, what else am I going to do? Let him get another 9.6 and kick me out. And he ended up going, of course, broke his board. And then Seth got the wave anyway. So um, I just, I loved seeing John push to that point because I just have not seen that in recent times whatsoever. And I think you could attribute um, a lot of that not only to Seth's talent, but Reynos Hayes has coached Seth since he was a little boy. And Reynos' coaching style is aggressive. It's in your face. Respectfully, but it is, it is in your face. And I think Seth, he put John John in a position that made that wave unmakeable. And that was just beautiful strategic surfing. He, he didn't need to do it in a Zeke Lau way that was flat water paddling around John. He just sort of nudged him in like you said and said, hey, if you're not going to do it, I will. And you're right, he would have had that seed of doubt there from the prior 9.6, but I still don't see it as being a huge mistake for John either. I think that what was the mistake was that he probably let Seth push him in a little bit too far and he just was just too far under it. But I think if John was 10, 15 paddles out... That's all good. But young Seth, like a bull at a gate, was breathing down his neck. So that was the beauty in that ride. Earlier in the heat, John made Seth go a wave that he wasn't anywhere near him. He just John John stared him and made him go a left that was never going to be an excellent score. So it went both ways. There was one of each of them in that heat. So they both had their little mind games going on. But it was obviously Seth that came out on top. And that's one of the best heats, I think, in the modern era pipeline. That, that was unbelievable, that heat. Agreed. And also, uh, back to Reynos Hayes, it was pretty cool how after the wave that Seth got, he ended up on the beach, and Reynos, like, brought him in. He's like, hey, calm down. Like, you know, there's there's a lot of time left in the heat, and he had him standing there on the beach for a few seconds, like, you just got a good score. Still need one more. Calm down. Start over. Let's just start this thing like it hasn't even happened, you know? And I think that probably did a lot for Seth's mental as well. So that was really cool. Yeah, I, I love Uncle Reynos. He's been, you know, amazing to, to me personally over the years. And I think his biggest and best attribute is the fact that he can remain like that in a infinitely chaotic situation. You have the Moniz family down there as well as all of Seth's friends. Most coaches, they would probably choose to sit somewhere else. But Reynos just sits in the middle of the pack when all the craziness of emotion is going on of that event and, and every heat that Seth's in. And Reynos is just so stoic, just standing there, not even flinching, you know, 9-6. Yeah, no worries about it. No worries. But hey, guess what? You've got to go and do it again. Whereas everyone's just, you know, ripping their kid off, thinking it's done, it's done, it's done. And that's what makes a good coach, you know. Uh, I, I, I think that that's why Reynos is one of the best, particularly in Hawaii. Yeah. Um, okay, so the other kind of exciting heat in a different way was the Kelly and Miguel semifinal. That thing started off with a, I guess you could say a bang, but it wasn't a traditional bang in the, in the Seth way. It was, um, yeah, it was a crazy interference where two surfers were trying to go different directions from different sides of the peak, just straight up. I mean, we've all done those in, you know, junior events and it, like it's, but it's crazy to see it at the top level at a wave like Pipeline between Kelly Slater and Miguel Pupo, like, in my mind, what is Miguel Pupo thinking? Like, the judges are never, that's not how they're going to kick Kelly Slater out of this contest. Yeah, for sure, but I'm pretty surprised I didn't call a double there. I didn't get a good look at the left, but they must have been pretty confident to not call it a double. So I'm completely back Miguel there, and if I was, you know, you know, 
had a young surfer in that event or, or you know, you wanted to give them an example of, of how to stand your ground, like, round of applause to Miguel, man. Like, that takes a lot of balls. I think that's gnarlier than what Gabby did burning in with priority. Like, what Miguel did is, like, proper balls to the wall. You put your whole event on the line right there. But, okay, do you think, I mean, and it's a really fast situation to, like, do this kind of critical thinking, but do you think in Miguel's mind it's like, okay, my chances of beating Slater straight up are whatever they are, maybe call it, like, 30 to 70%, like, 30 in his direction, 70 in Slater's. This could even the odds, you know, if they either go double or if they go single potentially in my direction. Or do you think he's just... That's I see a left. I'm going. I think it's the same as the Luca Messina's Kolohe thing that you brought up last week. It's you, I don't believe you can be doing that out pipeline. I think it's just just too much going on, and you're looking purely at the wave and nothing else. And I think Miguel, you could see his eyes, you could see his intentions. It was all left. He he wasn't he wasn't about to muscle Kelly out of that wave and then go right. That was never his intention. He was always trying to go left. So. Yeah, I, I think that um, he, he thought he saw a good wave and um, put his head down and went. So, yeah, good on him. Yeah, well, they, they brought on, um, oh, what's his name? The old judge. Your boy. Oh, Richie Porter. Yeah, it's, it's so fun. It's so funny seeing Richie at 4 a.m., like <laughs> freshly shaved and washed hair. Like, and most Aussies are kind of crawling out of bed to watch the event, and Richie's trying to be spot on at 4 in the morning. It's pretty good. He, he did a good job. Yeah, so they brought him in, and his explanation was essentially that, you know, it was a split peak, but Kelly was up first, and he got kind of control of the wave at that point. So that was their ruling. That was why it went to Miguel. Um, they said that it would have been a double if their rails touched, which to me seems kind of arbitrary. In that case, if you're Miguel, it's like, why not just run into him? Like, seems like kind of a weird rule. But anyway, it went in Kelly's direction. And thank God it did, because he would not have won that heat based on scores. If they were straight up head to head, Miguel would have won. And that's what I mean. Like, Miguel knows how to identify a good wave out there. So that's why I think that it's funny as a judge you cannot get into the psyche of a surfer and what you think they're seeing you just have to call it from how you see it so that's why I'm very intrigued that it wasn't a double yes Kelly got up first uh to me that doesn't mean anything uh anymore uh I think getting up later is you want to talk about scoring potential um and scoring potential being ruined uh, it's it's harder to take off later, so I don't know why you'd you'd say, oh yeah, get up earlier. That's cool. That's that's not a thing for me. It's more the wave. They're looking at the wave and which wave had more scoring opportunity. So they obviously deemed the right had more scoring opportunity. And as a judge, that's what your main point of your call is, not who got up first. Like that in a situation where it's that quick, to me that means fuck all. Oh, Stacey, you're making the mistake that I've made for the first 28 years of my life that I'm just now starting to to realize you are thinking that people are thinking about this like a fucking rule book when in reality they're thinking about it like fucking humans and as a human you're going to do everything in your power to not give Kelly Slater an interference in his potentially eighth pipe masters six days before his 50th birthday there's no way that they're giving that to him unless they absolutely have to. I took the Kelly Slater posters off my wall like three years ago, dude. You haven't. So that's where we're at. <laughs> well, that means, that means you sold low. And that is never a good look, my friend. <laughs> uh, no, I actually had some friends around at my house when I was like 20 having a house party or whatever. And yeah, I would have been like 20 or 21 or something. And one of the boys goes, dude, you still got posters of Kelly Slater on your bedroom wall? I'm like... 
yeah, so like, what? Like, oh fuck yeah, I'm like yeah, okay, yeah, cool. That's not cool anymore. That's right, sweet. <laughs> Little did they know he would be world number one three years later, six days before his fiftieth birthday. Um, so yeah, the jokes on them. I folded. I should have left him up. But yeah, it was, it was that was a great heat, and I think um, it was a great example of you know how confident Miguel is out there because you know not many people are cutting off Kelly Slater on the peak at Pipeline. Yeah. All right. So anyway, that brought us into, of course, the final. That was also a spectacle. Like Kelly's performance there, his grit, his determination was unbelievable. The fact that he went on that last wave and then didn't straighten out, decided to try to pull up under it when he like clearly didn't need to. I mean. That is just, that's what makes it, like, because I, as much as I love Medina, I don't think Medina's doing that. I think Medina's going straight and, you know, taking his licking and coming in a champion, but I don't think he's forcing his way into a barrel like that just because he loves it that much. I disagree. I've seen Medina do huge airs at the end of heats that he does not need to even try, so I'm going to have to disagree with you on that one. But I appreciate what you're saying, and I love the fact that Kelly, give the guy a 10. <laughs> Come on. Like, that was... He, he, he very nearly dies if he gets that leap in the head where he is on the reef on that wave. Like, that was, that was no yeah. joke, life or death. And give him a 10, come on, boys and girls. I think he, like, just the way that he reacted after that heat in his speech, I think Kelly would have been okay dying like that. I think for him, this was like, obviously he's done so much in his career, but it was really just that like getting to this level and this age and feeling like, holy shit, like I can't believe I can still do this and proving that to himself. It just looked like such a surreal, surreal moment. And I mean, the speech was incredible. Did you cry? <laughs> I didn't cry, but I have a reason why I didn't cry. Um, we have a tennis player that represents Australia. Her name's Ash Barty, and she recently won the Australian Open, which no one had done in like the last 44 years and she's um she's a young indigenous woman and the the lady who won it 44 years ago was a woman named Yvonne Goolagong Corley and she was also indigenous to Australia and that's who came out and gave her the trophy so I'd used my tears up a few nights before (laughs) (laughs) which was very special I'm actually getting chicken skin just thinking about it so that that was pretty cool but I definitely was like trying to trying to cry I just had nothing left in the ducks yeah right okay well that puts you in the minority of surf viewers we did a an Instagram poll after the final and if you believe the 25,000 people who voted 63 percent of people who watched that final cried during Kelly's speech and only 37% didn't. So I thought that was pretty incredible to see the the reach and the impact that Kelly has had on like such a vast number of people in the surfing world. It's just unbelievable. Did you cry into your $100 bills? <laughs> I I think I welled up. I think maybe like one tear kind of like trickled over the edge. I think that was as far as I got. I didn't I I would have cried more if it was Carlos, yeah. but yeah. He'll, he'll have his time. But no, for sure. Really? He's so influential. Fuck. Yeah, I I hope so. Yeah, I'm just trying to be positive. Yeah. Poor guy, he's out. Anyway, um Kelly Slater, congratulations. Uh eighth pipe master, fifty-sixth championship tour win. What else is there to say? And he's now number one in the world, and he's going to be turning 50 in just a couple days. I just, I mean, I've said that way too many times, but it's still, I feel like it just needs to be reiterated because it's so fucking wild. Uh, Yeah, agreed. Congratulations. And that was like Kelly of old. He was just so locked in. Um, He had so many highlight moments, and it really just defies 
it defies what's real and what, what's normal. Like, are we living in a parallel universe to something else that should be happening? Like, it's just, he's a psycho. All right, so let's talk about that. What does this mean moving forward? Is Kelly going to do the whole tour? Is he going to try to make the top five? Like, where do you see this going? I 100% see him doing the whole year, asterisk, um, and, you know, competing through the back half and, and trying to make the top five. Yeah, I do. I really do. Yeah, so I guess, obviously, the Australia thing is in question. We do have some reason to believe that Kelly has some sort of trick up his sleeve for that if he so chooses to play it. What what makes, I'd love to, I saw you write that, what makes you think that he has a trick up his sleeve? We've got some insider intel. I don't want to push anything just yet because we're kind of verifying some details and some sources and whatnot, but we do have some reason to believe. Let's leave that alone for now. You might hear more about it this coming week. We're, we're digging into it. But in the meantime, all we really need to know is that even if he were to skip Portugal and the two Australia events, if you were to base it off of last year's standings, if he needs to get within the top 22 after five events using only four of those events, he needs just over 10,000 points. So that basically means that he needs to make one heat at sunset to put himself over last year's cutoff. Two heats at sunset would like really lock him in. That would be like 3,000 additional points, get him to 13,000 something, and he'd be a lock. So he could potentially miss those events in total and still surf G-Land, Chopes, J-Bay, El Salvador, and so on, and potentially make it to lowers. So he's in a really, really good position. There's a QS event running at Phillip Island in Victoria this coming weekend, and all competitors and staff of the event must be vaccinated to compete. So I just would love to know what Kelly thinks he's going to try to do. <laughs> Especially after how Novak Djokovic was treated and how the Australian media have already signaled their intentions for Kelly. Yeah, that's true. He has had a little bit of a target put on his back, but I think he has a way of avoiding said target. So we will see. Again, I hope I be I can tell you guys a little bit more in the coming weeks. Um, but for now, I got to keep it under wraps. All I can say is, on my behalf, he's welcome. See you soon, Kelly. So that's Kelly, and I, I mean, I, we could talk about him again for hours and hours. But I think most of the things that need to be said have been said. So why don't we move on to the women who, first and foremost. They did not surf in the same day as the men, which we thought they would. And at first, I was a little bit aggrieved at this until I saw the waves on the day that the women ran. And they were actually really, really good, still really solid, proper pipeline. Um, were you thinking kind of the same thing or you were off the call? No, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with the call. Um, I think, you know, whether or not it's because I'm somewhat of a safety Sam and I'm a bit risk averse, I'm not too sure. But I, I'm very happy with a steady rise to, um, you know, progress for the women. Um, I've been at a few events over the years where, um, you know, they've just, it just seems like there's a little bit of potentially, we've got something to prove attached to the calls. And sometimes I don't believe that that's always in the best interest of the sport. So I think that to call them off the day before, if the men came in and said some certain things or a few of the women didn't want to surf, I'm completely fine with that. And I think it was the the best call because the next day was still really solid but it wasn't at a point that the women hadn't surfed it in a jersey yet so they were 
very similar size to the, to one of those earlier rounds. So I think good on them, well played. They didn't didn't get try to get too far ahead of themselves, and they just sort of you know took the advice on board and, and listened to the surfers and listened to the the male competitors, because at the end of the day, like the male surfers, they're all in full support of the women. Um, they wouldn't want to see anyone get hurt or you know try to do something that was un- untoward. So I think that yeah, the call was perfect. Yep, agreed. And uh, yeah, we basically got to see two semis, uh, one of which was pretty good, one of which was not great, and a final, which was very one-directional, which I was quite happy about. Uh, But yeah, so Tyler and Moana went up first. Moana got off to a quick start. Tyler sat out there for a while. Like I was getting to a point where I was like, man, is she going to catch a wave? And then she threw that right back in our face with a big old eight at back door, proper back door wave, took off behind the peak, fully barreled, like looked like she had done that all her life so that was great um she did say that she pulled off a left at the end of the heat that she thought either would have been a 10 or she was leaving there in a wheelchair and i think eventually we'll get to a point where women feel like they want to go on those waves in competition i think most guys in her position who had a shot to get into the final probably would have gone on that wave and I also think it's fine that she didn't because, again, like she actually had a great interview after that heat prior to the final where she talked about her experience at this event and how important it was and how much experience she gained and how every year they're going to get better and better. And we can actually cut over to that right now. Look, it feels amazing. We don't get this opportunity. And I think that's one of the best things about this right now is like we're in the pioneering stage today. Look, I was scared, but by the end of the heat, you kind of you're figuring out where your pins are with none of us have been out there when it's this big and being able to even get close to being in the position so give us a few years and we'll you know i hope for me personally that you know i'll be able to make the most of every wave that comes through out there and not be like oh i just missed that one so yeah i i fully 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 agree with that like every year they come out here every heat they have out here they're going to just gain so much more experience get so much more comfortable and we're going to see that level rise year on year like even this year from the start of the event to the end like it's just it's so clear how quickly you can get comfortable and get better out there and i think that wsl did a great job of putting them in the women did a great job of performing and like pushing themselves not to like an extent where it was like you're going to kill yourself but where it was like a slow and steady and comfortable rise and i'm really excited to see it uh kind of keep happening on this tour yeah me too i thought there was some there was some beautiful rides out there and you know congratulations to moana like that's Winning an event at any time in your career is is super special, and the fact that she can do it as a wild card is obviously hasn't been done in a very long time, uh, and you know that's that's incredible. I think Tyler might have been actually the last person to do that as a wild card on the women's side, and then prior to that, I think you might have told me Bruno Santos and Tahiti. So that's um, un, unheard of. But getting back to the actual performance, like there's a certain way that some women surf that is just sort of you know, it's beautiful. It's like that feminine energy. They don't they don't overplay their hand. They match the power of the wave. And, and Moana, I think, did that better than anyone throughout the whole event. She's sort of, the way she stands in a pipeline barrel is, you know, it brings a tear to your eye. It's, a, it's like iconic. It's a, There's like no other way to explain it. It's like the old school guys, like the Jerry Lopez's and the Rory Russell's who used to like just, it was like they were born to do that. And it looks like she's born to do that. And it's unbelievable. And like the amount of waves she was catching in those heats compared to her competitors. And like every time she takes off, 
she's you know Kelly kind of said this when he was uh, commentating the heats like she's she's not always the deepest but she's always looking for the biggest most hollow waves and that that depth thing will just come with the comp, more confident you get the deeper you're going to take off and she's already there it's just that you know every once in a while she'll kind of take off more on the shoulder side and try to draw herself back into it but more time she's just going to be taking off so deep and shooting right through them because her technique is impeccable yeah her timing is incredible and how comfortable she looks in the barrel is um is scary uh yeah there's just something that she does with her hands it's like how she her hands are relaxed by her sides that i think that's probably what's the most common of that reminiscent style of old where sort of her left hand is just slightly forward of her hips and her back hand is kind of flying back with the wind and the speed of the wave and it's just like an iconic, you know, some of the still frames that have come out of that event for her are like, you know, get that up on the wall immediately. Yeah. So um, now she has gone from not having a place on tour to leading the tour. She's getting a wild card into sunset. She'll be wearing the yellow jersey, but she's still going to be surfing against Carissa Moore in the first and presumably also in the third round, assuming there's no weird sort of situation like Steph pulling out in round two and Bethany coming in. So, yeah, the seeds are set. Again, that's a new rule that they kind of reinstated this year. So if Moana makes it to the third round, she will inevitably face Carissa Moore again. And that's going to be tricky because where she clearly had an advantage at Pipeline, she will not have that advantage at Sunset. Like, Carissa is an absolute beast out there, and Moana is just a little bit lighter. She's obviously a goofy foot, and she just doesn't surf that much out there because most of the time that Sunset's good, Pipe is too. So she definitely will have a bit more trouble out there. However, if she does manage to make some heats, she's in. The, we talked about this last week. She's in a really unique position to be able to qualify for the back half of the tour and for the 2023 tour. Um, based off the numbers from last year, again, she'd probably need to make like a quarters at sunset to get over that point mark to make it into the top 10. Or maybe she'll get a few more wild cards from the WSL and be able to chip away at it through Portugal and Australia. Um, but again, it's pretty freaking cool that her and also Kyoe Belly have the opportunity as wild cards to come in and actually earn a spot onto the tour through the mid-year cut rather than everybody else in the CT who sees it as a potential to lose their spot on tour. Yeah, I agree. It is, it is, it is a very interesting way to look at it because I think everyone does look at it as like, I've just got to not fall off, whereas she's obviously got the other attitude of like, I'm coming in get out of my way so it's pretty it's pretty sick and look even if she doesn't do that well at sunset and and get starts in the other events i can't see her being left out of g land and chopes if there's a random event wild card there for anyone i think it should straight up be her so oh i don't know chopes would have to go to vahine right look i yeah there's not enough spots in the women's draw. Obviously, with the men, they take one Tahitian and one non-Tahitian from that event. So you're right. Uh, it probably should go to her. But, man, you, 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 if there was a way, you know, if there was an injury or whatever, I think, you know, it's obviously she's right, you know, right at the top. She's the first event winner of, of any women's CT at Pipeline and, and just not in any old fashion. So I think she has to be right up there for any kind of consideration, regardless of her performance in these next few events. I think she's, she's showing the world... Uh, a new level of surfing in barrels uh, in competition for women. So I think you've got to respect that. Agreed. And she's promoting the physical well-being of degenerate surf journalists like myself. I decided I'm putting all of my winnings into buying a Florence Marine X flotation suit that I wore jo- saw John wearing all winter at Pipeline, and it just looked so fucking amazing. 
And I feel like with my whole helmet thing, like I just got to take that, that next step of safety. I'm the real safety, Sam, on this podcast. You're not safety, Sam. You're, you're, you're like Seth Monet's <laughs> Sandy. You're all skitsy and take off no. on big closeouts and stuff. Um, so, yeah, good on you for that. But um, also a tip of the cap, I think, needs to go to Volcom. Like getting on and supporting her uh, is, is obviously something that um, they're, they're stoked to be doing. And I, I don't know that she'd ever had a whole lot of support prior to that. You might be able to shine some light on that. But there's a few Volcom stickers in that comp that went off. And I think, um, you know, that'd be stoked. I think Volcom puts a lot of time and energy into Pipeline and now they have well, a champion. Well, that's their whole so, thing, yeah, right? Good like, on them. I talked about it before the event or I think on one of our previous podcasts. Like there's something about that Volcom stone that either they pick the people that are just a little bit like cuckoo in the head or that stone on the nose just makes them go on waves that they wouldn't otherwise. But yeah, Joao, Jack, Moana, like crazy out of Pipeline. Mm, and she was getting chaired up uh, by Makana Pang, who is obviously loony bins out there as well. So you're right, they, they do put a lot of time in it. But I think it's a, it's a healthy mix of 50-50. Um, you know, Noah, Noah Dean's another person that comes to mind who's got a few screws loose whenever the waves get solid. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, good on them because I know every surf brand wants to be on top of the world when it comes to pipeline, and, and they're certainly showing, showing good signs. They used to sponsor Kelly. They could have done the double. <laughs> All right, so let's talk sunset because we got this event starting in a few days. It, it there is a potential that they run in the first couple days of the waiting period. It doesn't look like a lot of swell, but maybe just enough to get a few heats run. But there is a little bit more swell coming about in the you know in the midsection of that period, maybe around like the fourteenth or fifteenth or something. So there should be waves for it. Um, and yeah, do you want to just go straight into some of your thoughts and picks? And yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I'm I'm excited to see the CT at um, at sunset. I love it every year when the QS is on there because um, you know some people make that wave look way more fun than it actually is. It's definitely one of the most challenging waves in the world, and certainly helps if you're a surfer that carries a few extra kilos, um, you know, in their in their frames. And, you know, some of the clips you see coming out of there from John John and obviously Jack Robbo, we've seen him in the QS. It's exciting surfing. So, you know, typically, like you said, when sunset's firing, pipe is also firing. But with everyone having to focus their energy on this event, I think it's going to be amazing. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to surfers like Zeke Lau, uh, Ethan Ewing, Jack Robbo and, uh, and John John Florence really, really ripping in and showing us, showing us how it's done. Who do we know who the wild cards are yet? Is Billy Kemper getting a look in out there or Well, yes, but before we get into the wild cards, let's talk about who is out for this event. As far as we know, Gabby's not coming back yet. Carlos Munoz is out for at least two events getting surgery on his shoulder. Liam O'Brien is out for I think the entire first half of the tour, I heard, um, with a broken ankle. And Yago Dora is also still out with his broken foot. So that leaves us with four slots to fill and then also two WSL event wild cards. So those are going to go to Billy Kemper, and he's kind of like the local wild card. And then also Kai Lenny, who gets a slot from Hurley, who's sponsoring the event. And then on top of that, we have Matt McGillivray coming back. We have Jordy Lawler coming back. We have Kylie Belly coming back after a big performance at Pipe, and also Barry Mamiya after, obviously, surfing really well at Pipe. So... Yeah, it's pretty wild on the wild card front. There's going to be technically six of them in this event, and they look like they could seriously do some damage. I mean, Billy's incredible out there. 
Super curious to see how Kai goes. Uh, is he going to use straps? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, a lot to figure out on that side. But all these names considered, um, there's still obviously some major favorites that are CT surfers. So who do you think is going to come out on top of this event overall? Let's go Robbo. Robbo. Okay, cool. He's obviously the most recent winner out there back in 2019. He took out the QS event that got him on tour. <laughs> I guess Zeke Lau probably still isn't very happy about how all that played out. So I think he's probably looking for a bit of redemption. And yeah, I, I there's a lot of good picks for Sunset. And it's also a really scary place to, like, it's just such a random wave in some ways. Maybe somebody who's really good out there would tell you otherwise, but I spent a decent amount of time out there this season, and every time I paddle out, I'm so lost. Like, every time I go out, I'm like, how do you surf a 30-minute heat out here? Like, I would have no, even if there was nobody else in the water, I wouldn't know which waves to go on, where to sit, how far in or out to be. Like, it's just a really confusing lineup. So probably the hardest wave to surf on tour, at least I haven't surfed all of them, I suppose, but from what I understand. For sure. As a as a surfer, you're always looking for lineups, a competitive surfer. You're always looking for lineups, like whether it's Pipeline or Halle Eva or, you know, Bells. But Sunset's a wave where you... There are a couple that people talk about, certain coloured houses and whatnot, and there's a big uh, satellite dish up, way up in the hill that you can see. But, like, when there's 10-foot sets rolling in, they all start to look like a needle in a haystack because you're so far out at sea. So you really need to be reading the reef and reading the ocean. And that's where you see, you know, people that are really good at that are obviously John John. And I know it seems silly to say that because of how good he is actually on the wave, but you've got to be able to find him. And obviously he knows how to find him. Owen Wright is another one that comes to mind, just knows how to read an ugly ocean. And Robbo, like, they just have a sixth sense out there, which is, you, you need it. You definitely need it. Yeah, and there's also just, like, so many different faces to that wave. Like, Mason Ho this year in the pickup was talking about it, and he was saying that when it's north swells, they call it fun set because that's when the waves kind of really just roll down the reef, kind of like a point break. And then when it's more of a west swell, it's sunset, and that's when it's scary. That's when you get those wild waves swinging toward the channel that catch everybody off guard and... Um, yeah, so it's going to be, it, it just depends on the swell direction, what we get. I'd say north swells are actually more fun to surf out there because you see the line, you kind of know what's coming. Whereas a west set, you just feel like you're catching this big swinging teepee and you don't even really know where it's going to break. So, um, anyway, we got to pick one. I don't want to say John, I, I like, obviously he's probably like the most favorite person to win out there, but you said, Jack, I'm going to go. I'm just going to go for Zeke. I think he's got all the grit. He's got all the skill. He's got all the power. Um, I don't see why he couldn't win out here. He's done it before, I think, multiple times. Yeah, he's he's like Billy Kemper. He's won pretty much every QS that's been out there, whether it's the 1,000 or the 10,000 uh, or the 3,000 in between. Like He's just incredible out there. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a good uh, battle royale. And uh, what about the women? Obviously, there's a definite favorite in the women, but... Uh, are you going to go I mean, against her? Fuck, she didn't win pipe, which makes me feel like she kind of has to win here in a way. Um, but again, I hate just picking the favorite. It's, it's so boring, right? So You can pick her if you want. It's not that boring. They don't, they don't win every time. They just win every second time. <laughs> that's true. No, I'm going to uh, go with Gabrielle O'Brien. I think a rookie's going to step up and just do something wild. I, she obviously didn't do great at pipe, but... I was just watching her. There's this one wave she caught. It was this like tiny little left that 
like barely barreled, but she got into it and the whole wave closed out and she somehow rode out of it and she just came out of it and she was so low and planted to her board and like to have that flexibility and strength combination, I feel like you're just, has such an advantage over the field at a place like Sunset. So I'm going to go ahead and give the rookie the nod. Yeah, I like it. I'm going to go with Courtney Conalog, uh, pretty much for the same reason. that She just doesn't seem to fall off her board whenever there's a massive section coming towards her. So, um, And she still keeps me awake at night whenever I think about the Bells Beach final when she needed a nine against Malia and got a ten, and it kind of looked like sunset that day. So I'm going to give Courtney the nod. All right. Well, um, yeah, there might be a lot of things that happen between now and then. For instance, we still, again, don't know the heat draw. We don't really know when they're going to be surfing. Our opinions might change by the time that they actually paddle out. But for now, those are our picks for Sunset. Um, Do you have any sort of like rogue, dark horse, prop bet style picks for the event? Like, I don't know, like Zeke Lau's going to bite somebody's leash off or something like that. Look, if Kaimana Henry or someone was caddying for Emi and it was big and west and the caddies are in the channel, um, they're going to swing and go and get barreled uh, in the channel mid-heat. So it might not be Kaimana. It could be someone else that's sort of, you know, um, someone that you wouldn't really mess with. They're going to get a wave in a heat and get barreled and get blown out just while they're kind of in between sets, you know? Yeah, so sanction or no sanction from the WSL? No sanction. All good. No. And as long as they didn't interfere with anyone. I was out there one day um, and I was <laughs> next to Fabio Gouveia, who was caddying for his son, Ian. And that happened. We were kind of nearly wearing one and I'm scratching for the shoulder. But this was first heat of the day. So the comp actually hadn't started yet. So it was fair game. He fully swung and went on Ian's backup board and air dropped out of the sky and ate so much shit. And I'm thinking, imagine if he broke his board in the channel. <laughs> So, yeah, I I hope someone does that um, this year. Okay. Uh, Mine is, I think Ichilo is going to do an air on the left. Buck and I surfed it a lot this year, and uh, he always managed to find this weird deep left that actually barrels, as we saw Kelly Slater get barreled all those years back. And it also has a bit of a ramp if you get the right one. Like, it goes into this sort of shallow bit, and the the wave comes out, and obviously the wind is good for it. So I think Ichilo is going to do, like, a Gabby at... Narrabeen or Newcastle? Where did he do that? I always get him confused. Newcastle. Gabby at Newcastle style against the grain left on an air to make it out of a heat. Love it. Speaking of Newcastle, did you happen to catch wind of the event we uh, we had just down there, the Australian board riders battle? Oh, you know what? I saw your Instagram story. I meant to ask you about this. It was you and Von Deadly, and I saw Von Deadly doing face plants into the sand at one point, so it looked like you guys were having a good old time it's honestly the best event of the year it is so much fun it's like (laughs) surfing is such an individual pursuit but then you chuck it in a team's format and it is just it's fucking hilarious man like it's a mixture of uh open man uh, juniors women and everyone's got a rip there's there's very very little room for error and the pressure is just so much because you've, it's more than yourself, you know. You've got the whole city that you come from on your, riding on your back. And, um, yeah, it's amazing. It's, um, you know, and there's guys that, you know, they work five, six days a week maybe laying bricks or building houses and whatever and then paddle out for their heat and just annihilate someone. And you just think, you know, that is just the core bread and butter of Australian surfing. And, um, you know, the reason why I ask is, you know, I want to extend the invitation 
you know, overseas. We, we need to do an international event like this. It'd just be all time. You know what? These, uh, obviously, Australia's been doing these for decades. The U.S. is starting to pick them up a little bit, and they have made their way, surprisingly, over to the East Coast. And I competed in my first one this past fall, and it was seriously, like, one of the most fun, if not the most fun surf contest I've ever done. Like, you're right, the pressure, like, the waves were terrible. You're, I don't know how the rules work in yours, but in ours, you're only allowed to catch three waves, and one of them counts. And like that, like, I don't know, you go out like any other day and you surf and, you know, one out of three waves is usually decent, but like you put on a Jersey and you're in front of all your friends and like, they're relying on you and dude, that is gnarly, like so scary, but then you do it and it's the best feeling in the world. And you're like, yes. So I'm, I'm with you. I would love to, uh, make this cross continental somehow, uh, myself and the crew at the seven mile board what are we called? Seven, oh, seven Mile Board Riders uh, will take you on the Snapper Rocks. I think you guys are going to have, uh, it's going to be a handful for you guys. I'll tell you that much. But all I can say is please don't. Let's just start you in a little bit. You know, let's just work your way up to the top, all right? Gee, come on. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, you're right. It is, it is the best thing ever, and it's, it's good to see the Americans, you know, get on board. And, you know, there'll be some teething problems, no doubt, over the next decades. But ultimately, it is the funnest uh, environment for surfing and um yeah, it's all time. Rabbit has actually started an event here that uh, they invited Santa Cruz board riders and a few others for next year. So it's starting to happen, but I'd like to see it fully fledged. You know, Marasius v Snapper v Seven oh. Mile v San, you know, San Clemente. And it'd, it'd just be all time. It'd be all time. That's peak surfing right there. That's better than the CT mm. any day. All right. Well, because well, they, they run up and down the beach, and the best part about it is that many people fall over when they're running up and down the beach. It's like an Iron Man mixed in with a surf contest. A thousand percent. There's there's literally a guy that fell at ours, and I just I feel like there's one of those in every event, right? Like that's and you just like the whole the real goal of that event is not to be that guy, but somebody's always that guy, and it's yeah. There was like a viral clip of some Australian guy falling a few years back. I remember that was just incredible. None other than Newcastle's very own Travis Lynch. <laughs> who's uh brother's a proud listener of the podcast so g'day cal Mm. yeah that is like truly like that is to me what i want my competitive surfing life to look like like i haven't like done an actual contest in years and i that just brought me back so fast and i was like this is the funnest thing i've ever done so yep i'm on it seven mile board riders you are you're you're full you're fully changed over. You're a full twin fin mid-length riding madman. How was that last joyride? <laughs> twin fin mid-length riding degenerate surf gambler. Uh, yeah, it's a weird mix that I'm, I'm like going in two directions at once. I'm getting pulled like a freaking Gumby. Yeah, I'm just getting pulled in all directions. But um, yeah, I did a joyride. That's right. Thank you for bringing that up. Just dropped. Um, it is, so it was, it was a little bit different. Normally for joyrides, I get a custom surfboard made for me. Uh, this time I realized I had too many surfboards piling up. So I decided to do a trade-in at Surfboard Broker. Your missus decided you would do a (laughs) trade-in. Yeah, that one. Uh, I decided to do a trade-in with Surfboard Broker, which is like a basically trade-in shop that we have over here in the U.S. with like multiple locations, uh, main ones in Carlsbad, California. And I went in and grabbed a board off the rack. It was pre-used or pre-owned or secondhand, whatever you want to call it. And it was made by Ghost Shapes, which is actually their house label. And it's kind of like a clever little play on just the fact that nobody really knows who's shaping their surfboards. And so Ghost Shapes has a few different shapers, but mine was shaped by James Holloway, a guy from San Diego. And yeah, it was a it was a twin fan. It's called a Go To. 
and it's a twin pin technically not the official CI twin pin, but a twin pin in its very nature. And it was way too big for me, and I fucking loved it. Had so much damn fun on the thing. Surfed it at a little beach break first, then went over to, like, pumping lower trestles. And, I mean, it felt kind of like a mid-length, I guess, but it was just so fun to, like, draw long lines and just feel so in control. It felt like I was kind of swinging a weighted bat, and it just felt like when you made contact and you had your feet in the right place and you had a you know, a nice curvy section of the wave. It just like dug in and just, it was slow, but so powerful and smooth. It was awesome. Yeah. I, I, I love jumping on boards that are a bit like that, a bit bigger than what you're used to. I think it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Like you said, it's like a baseball that warms up with two bats strapped together. Cause then when you get back on your, your HP shorty, your, your Kelly Slater. Um, but no, yeah, the clip, the clip was sick. Exactly. You're just out windy lower trestles. It actually looked like small J Bay. It was, you had the, it was the perfect board because when it's windy, I hate paddling in the wind. Yeah. And you can't really surf cause you like can't really hit the lip out at lowers when it's offshore. And this board was perfect. It like, yeah, it was just staying in the pocket, just kind of doing big S turns the whole time. It felt like I was snowboarding. It was amazing. You were mate. You were just flying down the line. <laughs> so you can check that out. Uh, that's for stab premium members only. And yeah, what do you got coming up? I think you got a joyride coming out maybe this this month. Am I right, or am I coming up again? I do. Yeah, I got the Pizel Mini Ghost. Um, I actually took it for a spin in the wave pool down in Melbourne the other week, and um, yeah, pretty much didn't get it going as a thruster at home at D Bar, um, but chucked it in as a quad in the pool and had a really fun time. So. Yeah, I'm in this limbo zone now where I'd like to take it for one more surf just to give it like the final verdict. So I'm probably going to give it a go in the ocean as a quad and give it the final send off. But yeah, so far it's been a it's been a fun review because it's been challenging to find the sweet spot on the board, but I think I'm getting there. Cool. Well, you can look forward to that next month and in the meantime, this has been the Stab Cusp. We'll hopefully be back next week to talk about sunset. If nothing happens, maybe it'll be the week after that. But anyway, this has been your surf competition news for the week. Stacy, over and out. Thanks, Mike and Stace. And thanks for listening. That's all we've... Well, actually, it's not all we've got for this week. I'm going to leave you with a Slater story a few weeks back. Buck and Mikey were asking people for their Slater stories and this one got sent in. Nothing really happens, but uh, I'll play it anyway. So there was a time in 2016 where we had lunch followed by a free period, which meant we could kind of take lunch and the free period. So as a big group, we decided to go for a swim down at Splash, which is a spot down in the North Bondi Rocks, like around the corner, secluded usually a spot where junkies or fishermen are. Junkies usually smoking bongs and fishermen usually catching fish. But, you know, we go there to go for nudies because it's secluded and it's private. We can just, you know, we don't bring our swimmers because we're in school gear, so we just jump in the water nude. We jump into the splash rock. It's sort of big, sets are rolling in, and I'm in the water and I hear one of the boys go, Oi, is that Kelly Slater? Nah, fuck off bullshit. Nah, it's not Kelly Slater. Oh! <gasps> Oh, no, no, it fucking fully is Kelly Slater, eh? And everyone's fucking running over to this bald-headed man with this nice linen fucking blue T-shirt on and, like, these white linen pants. And it's, like, fucking Kelly Slater. He's, like, a dead set god walking in these North Bondi rocks. And everyone's like, oh, fucking bullshit, Kelly, can we get a fucking photo with you? And he's like, yo, maybe, like, get some pants on and then, you know, we can get a photo. <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, 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 fuck, fuck, yeah, true, true, true. 
fucking went over, got some pants on. I'm still in the water, right? So I've heard this from second account. Everyone gets the pants on, gets a photo with Kelly Slater. He's like, yo, where are the girls at, man? Where are the chicks at? Because, <laughs> you know, we're all fucking <laughs> bunch of boys naked going for a swim. Anyway, Kelly Slater ends up fucking Kelly Latering, and he's packing up his stuff with his manager, and they're, like, getting ready to go. And I'm still in the water. I don't want to miss out on my, on my Kelly Slater moment. So I'm, like, fucking, nah, I'm fucking trying to get up, but kooking on this rock because I'm, like, the pressure's getting to me. And my mate Ethan's, like, just trying to grab a, a quick selfie with him before he, like, laters. And it's so perfectly timed, like, as I'm getting up on the rock in the background, like, like deep, deep background. I'm, I've just got up off the rock, and I'm running over, and, like, my cock and balls is perfectly hidden by my left thigh as I'm in, like, a sprinter's position. And Kelly Slater's, like, doing, and Ethan's like, oh, fuck yeah! And I'm, like, in the background, like, no, oh, Kelly Slater, don't Kelly Slater me. And I eventually, like, ran up to him and was like, oh, hey, bro. And he sort of wigged out because I was like fully just naked in front of him. He's like, oh, hey, brother. Catch it easy, boys. Like, later, dude. Like, sur total surfer vibes, you know? Um, but yeah, that was, it was pretty cool. It was a pretty epic moment. He's a, he's a cool guy, and I wish him a happy birthday because, you know, he's one of the best surfers in the world, but also a genuine nice guy, you know?